All right. All right, very good. Um, uh, as I was saying, Jeff and Erla are celebrating their 25th wedding anniversary this week, so they're out of town. Come back tonight. They'll be, be back with us. Jeff will be preaching next Sunday. So be praying for them. I think it was Erla's birthday uh, this week as well. Uh, but we are continuing our study. Am I on? Yeah. We were continuing our study through the book of 1 First, First Corinthians. Uh, as you know, uh, if you've been coming for any length of time, we've just been walking verse by verse uh, through this book, started about the first of the year. Just taking it for what it says. Um, we believe that we can interpret the Word of God literally, and so we take it uh, as it says and, and learn from it. And 1 Corinthians is a great book for us today as it deals with all sorts of issues and problems. I'm, I'm not saying y'all have all sorts of issues and problems, <laughs> but you kind of have some issues and problems, as do, as do I, uh, as, do, as we all do. Not the least of which are issues and problems that come along with marriage, that come along with the issue of, of divorce and, and, and singleness and, and, and being a widow or widower, all those sorts of things. And that's what we're dealing with specifically now that we have made it uh, to chapter 7. So if you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to turn there with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and we'll be looking specifically at verses 17 through 24 in our time together this morning. And, and what we're going to be looking at this morning is, is really just a continuation of what we saw last week. So hopefully you are here, but if not, I'll, I'll try to bring you up to speed. So we're going to look at it together, and we're going to connect it with everything we saw last week, and we're going to connect it together. So I'm going to, there's going to be sort of an extended introduction today as I try to connect some dots for you. But let's look, and let's pick it up in verse 15. Jeff covered verses 15 and 16 last week, but let's, let's start in verse 15. Bible says, but if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. And so the context of that was um, if, a, if in, a, in a mixed marriage, if a believer is married to an unbeliever and, and the unbeliever wants to depart, Paul says, let them depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God hath called us to peace. For what knowest thou, O wife, whether thou shalt save thy husband? Or, or how knowest thou, O man, whether thou shalt save, save thy wife? But as God hath distributed to every man, as the Lord hath called every one, so let him walk. And so ordain I in all the churches. Is any man called being circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Is any man called in uncircumcision? Let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and the uncircumcision is nothing, but the keeping of the commandments of God. Let every man abide in the same calling wherein he was called. Art thou called being a servant? Care not for it. But if thou mayest be made free, use it rather. For he that is called in the Lord, being a servant, is the Lord's freeman. Likewise also he that is called being free is Christ's servant. Ye are bought with a price. Be not ye the servants of men. Brethren, let every man wherein he is called, therein abide with God. All right, so let's pray and ask the Lord to bless our time in his word this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we love you. Uh, we are thankful uh, just that we have the opportunity to come and, and worship as we did and thankful for, for the praise team and how they led us uh, in the worship this morning, Lord. And you are worthy of all of it. You're worthy of uh, more than we could ever give you, uh, Lord. But I just pray that now that, that as we calm our hearts and our minds, Lord, I pray that you speak to each and every one of us here. I pray that everything that is said is true to your word. I pray that it is glorifying to you. I pray that it is only your words that you will uh, move me out of sight and speak to each and every person here today, Lord. We love you, we thank you, and, and we ask you to work as only you can. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, 
Before we get into the, the main verses that we're going to look at this morning, like I said, I have to lay some groundwork, connect it to last week. And if you remember back, if you were here last Sunday, Jeff ha- had a sermon that he, that he entitled, Stay Together. At first, we saw that Paul had some clear instruction for those in Christian marriages. And that is that God hates divorce, and as Christians, we should not cause division. We should be peacemakers in our home. But unfortunately, while that is the ideal and the expectation for a believer, the real is not ideal in way too many cases. And the reality of too many marriages, including Christian marriages, is that one spouse or or both aren't acting Christian. And they don't understand the picture of Christ in the church, or, or maybe they do understand it and they just don't care. So they're acting like a lost person or both of them are acting like lost people. There are obvious solutions to that. We talked about some of those last week, but you have to apply the Bible. And then we saw Paul also had a message for those in mixed marriages. And by mixed marriages, we mean those where there is one believer and one non-believer. That's kind of where we picked up uh, or talked about in verse, starting in verse 15. And then, so the mixed marriage has nothing to do with race or culture. It has to do with Christianity. Are you a believer or not? And Paul's message to them was, you don't have to split up. As a believer, if, if your non-believing spouse is okay to stay with you, then you should be okay to stay with them. And you don't have to get divorced just because they're not saved. We'll talk about that uh, in a little bit and, and what the thinking was with the Corinthians at the time. But you don't have to get divorced. Stay together. And it may be a tougher road. But that's okay. Stick it out. It, it may end up with you leading your unbelieving spouse to the Lord. And how cool would that be? But, as we saw, starting in verse 15, if, if they don't like that you're living your life by Bible principles, if they don't like that and they leave you, then you could let them leave. And at the end of verse 15, you can be at peace. And through that teaching, we saw the biblical grounds for divorce. And, and, and Jeff laid those out for us last week as death, defrauding, or desertion. And, and you can go back and, and listen to that if you haven't. And those grounds, I will say, by the way, apply to both Christian and mixed marriages. So if you are a believer and you involve yourself in an adulterous affair, for example, you can't claim that your spouse has to stay with you just because you are both Christians. No, you can only make that claim when you're actually living as a Christian. Because the capstone of everything we looked at last week, and really, I believe, the capstone of everything that Paul is talking about in this chapter is found at the end of verse 15. But God hath called us to peace. So whether you are married, single, divorced, widowed, you are to live according to peace. What that means is you are to make all of the relative decisions about whether to get married or whether to stay single. We've talked about these things already. We'll we'll talk about them again, but whether you get married, whether you stay single, whether you, you, know, you get divorced if you have biblical grounds or, or you stay and work it out. You're to make all those decisions from a position of peace. So, so let me say it this way. The Bible is clear in all areas. It's good to get married. Whosoever findeth a wife findeth a good thing. 
It's good to stay single. Paul says, I wish everybody could be as I. It's good to stay single. Unfortunately, we live in a world of sin, and, and people drag themselves and others into sin, and so the, God has provided provision and grounds for, for divorce. Uh, and we looked at those last week, and it's unfortunate. The goal is never, God hates divorce. The goal is never divorce, but there are some biblical grounds. And, but outside of those clear biblical grounds, you are to stay together. And so the goal in all this is whatsoever state you find yourself in. If you're married, if you're single, if you unfortunately happen to be divorced, if, if you're widowed, whatever state you find yourself in, just live as God gives you peace. And make decisions as, uh, on what God gives you, based on what God gives you peace to do. Colossians 3.15 says, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. The peace of God should always rule in our hearts. And then if you're making decisions in these lines, after you make the decision based on the peace that God has given you, live your life in peace. And, and let me just say here as a sidebar that you can only live your life in peace. And you can only make decisions that will give you peace if you have a personal relationship with the Prince of Peace. Amen. You only gain peace with God when you accept His Son, Jesus Christ, as your Savior. In a prophetic picture of Jesus dying for our sins, the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 53, 5, But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. And with His stripes we are healed. And we know in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, that Paul says, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So what that is saying is that peace became sin for us so that we can have peace. Now think about that for a second. Peace became sin for us so that we can have peace. Because the thing that always keeps us from peace is sin. The sin in your life, the sin in my life, it keeps us separated from God. So God sent the one who is peace. Ephesians 2.14, For he is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Praise the Lord that he did that. And he did it to take away sin. And when, we, when we accept that offer, we are brought into peace with God. Our sins are removed. Psalm 103, verse 12, describes it this way, as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Amen. And we are reconciled to God. What a beautiful thing that is. That absolutely, undoubtedly is good news. And we can have peace with God. Romans 5, 1 says, Therefore, in being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But listen, once that's settled, and I know this is church on Sunday morning, and, and I know in a crowd this size there are people in here that likely don't have that settled. I also know that many of us do. Many of you here are saved, and you do have that settled in your life, and you have peace with God. But from there, you have to learn to apply Bible principles in your life and walk in the Spirit so that 
you can then experience the peace of God. Because peace with God and peace of God are two different things. And so that's what today is about, this experiencing the peace of God in your home, <coughs> in your marriage, in whatever station of life you find yourself. And it leads to, to just to uh, a peace that the Bible describes as passeth all understanding. But you have to apply Bible principles. You have to walk in the Spirit. Because when you walk in the Spirit, you can experience the fruit of the Spirit that we learn in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, that one of the part of the fruit just happens to be peace. And if you're not walking in the Spirit, if you're not living your life according to Bible principles, then the peace of God is not going to rule in your life. It is not going to rule in your home. It is not going to rule in your relationships. It is not going to rule in your marriage. And that is where we run into problems. Simply, it is, listen, it is this simple. We run into problems in our life because we do not live by Bible principles. That is it, period. Do what the Bible says and it will work. When you don't, and you're on your own. And you see, we go into relationships without the intent of applying Bible principles. Maybe we think we will, but, but when it comes down to reality, we go into relationships with, with some misconceptions. And let me give you a couple big misconceptions that don't come from the Bible. First, we go into relationships, particularly marriage relationships. We go into it for what we can get out of it. And that is exactly the opposite of how relationships are to be, particularly the marriage relationship. Uh, the definition of love, uh, agape love, is a self-sacrificing love that puts self aside. But we go into it for what we can get out of it. So that's the first strike. And then second, we go into relationships with a, a selfish mindset so much that we think we can change the other person to do what we want and to give us what we need. So let me try to illustrate that for you. There was a girl uh, on, her, on her wedding day, and, and, and she was so nervous, and she comes into the back of the auditorium, and, and she just freezes. She's petrified. She's so nervous. And, and her mother sees it, and her mother's at the front, but, you know, she's like, oh, my goodness, she's, she's not going to be able to walk forward, so... Her mother, you know, quietly excuses herself, and she makes her way to the back of the auditorium, and she's there with the dad who's getting ready to walk her down, and, and she says, listen, I, I know you're nervous. She's like, Mom, I don't, I don't know if I can do it. I, don't, I just don't know if I can do it. And she was like, okay, let's, let's just put everything aside. You just need to focus on three things. You need to focus on the aisle. You're going to walk down this aisle. You're going to do it. You're just going to focus on the aisle. Then you're going to focus on the altar because that's where, you, that's where he's at. So you're going to focus on the aisle, and then when you get to the end of the aisle, you're just going to focus on the altar, the, the preacher's there, and, and your soon-to-be husband's there. And then once you do that, you're just going to focus on him. So you focus on the aisle, and then you focus on the altar, and then you focus on him. And she's like, okay, okay, I can do it. And so she's walking down. She's walking down, and, and the whole crowd hears her chanting, aisle, altar, him. Aisle, altar, him. Aisle, altar, him. And if you don't get that, just ask somebody to explain it to you. <laughs> You'll get it over lunch. Um, but listen, that's where we run into problems. We run into problems by not living 
what the Bible says, and we think that maybe we can change the person, and we can change him and alter her, and it's my way or the highway, and if it doesn't go the way I want it to go and expect it to go, then, then I'm just going to opt out. But that's not what the Bible tells you to do. We learned last week the Bible tells you to stay together. The Bible tells you to work it out. The Bible tells you to, to put it to work, because it will do the work. Because listen, every relationship has conflict. That's the truth of the matter. No one is perfect. No one sees eye to eye all the time. No, ma no matter how much scripture, scripture you can quote, there will always be some things which you and your spouse disagree on. No matter how much you love them, there will always be times you don't see things the same way. And that's okay. And we talked about this at the beginning of chapter 7. It's even supposed to work that way because God made man and woman different he made us differently for a reason so that we can be better together. And we can uh, fulfill the purpose that he has given us. To, if we were the same, well, we had the same falls, flaws and, and faults. No, God brought the, the man and woman together to fulfill the purpose that he has for them. And they can do it better together. And so those disagreements come because that we view things from opposite ends of the perspective many times. But God wants to use those gender differences as a school to help us grow up. And part of growing up is, is just learning that process of compromise and, and, and learning when, when to compromise and what to do. And, you know, there's a whole long list of things. And I won't, won't take the time to bore you, to, you know, on, on, on what you need to compromise on. But that's something you work out with, you know, with your spouse. And, 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 and as you apply Bible principles, that, that's Philippians 2, by the way. I don't want to take time to go there, but you can read it on your own. That's part of Philippians 2. Because listen, more marriages die from inflexibility than infidelity. And, and you miss, if, if you miss that, you miss something good right there. More marriages die from inflexibility than infidelity. And they die because one person, or more likely both people, aren't willing to compromise, and it has to be their way. Listen. We are called to peace. And if you just do what the Bible tells you to do, you can absolutely have peace in the midst of all your disagreements and stay together. And that is exactly what Paul is saying in our passage this morning. It is the same theme throughout this entire chapter. You can have peace through contentment wherever you find yourself in life. Listen, that is how Paul chose to live his life. In the book of Philippians, chapter 4, verse 11, he said, Not that I, I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Paul wrote the book of Philippians from prison. It's one of the prison epistles. He says, whatever state I find myself in, I can choose contentment. Why? Because I have the peace of God ruling in my heart. And that's our problem. We don't have peace in our lives and in our relationships, and so we're not content. And a lack of contentment leads to seeking more or seeking something different or seeking change. No, seek God. And you'll learn that when you seek God, you will find peace and therefore contentment. 
And in verses 17 through 24 that we're looking at today, Paul tells us how. He gets very practical today and tells us how to do that. And you might have noticed, as we were reading those verses, when we get to verse 17, Paul deviates just a little from the preceding and what we'll see next week, the following verses of this chapter. Those verses very specifically deal with marriage. Verses 17 through 24, he talks about circumcision, uncircumcision, being a servant, not being a servant, being free, or or, or not being free. And so so he, he deviates just a little, but the theme does not change. The theme of this entire chapter, even verses 17 through 24, revolve around those issues. Marriage, singleness, divorce, remarriage, all those sorts of things. And like I mentioned a little bit ago, the key to all of it, and you will hear me say this over and over and over, is that you're called to peace. So make decisions based on what God gives you peace to do, and then live your life after those decisions in and through the peace found in Jesus Christ. So what Paul does in our passage this morning is he uses a couple physical examples to drive home this overarching spiritual point. So it's a deviation from the directness that he spoke with in the previous verses, but like I said, the theme remains unchanged. And in these examples, Paul gives us some keys on how to have peace in your circumstance. So I've I've titled this message, Contentment in Your Calling. Contentment in Your Calling. And I chose those words specifically because the word calling is is always an interesting one. And and we've talked about it. Uh, Jeff already talked about it in the book of 1 Corinthians and and the issue of a call from God and, and what that means and what that looks like. But we see that word or or a form of that word nine times in verses 17 through 24. So nine times in eight verses. And and Paul is kind of bouncing back and forth in meaning from the calling of salvation that God places to every man in the world. He's called every man to salvation that we have to choose willingly. So he's bouncing forth between that calling and, and you accepting that call of salvation with, on the other side, the calling on your life from what we would say a vocation standpoint. And and it doesn't necessarily mean job. It can mean job, but it just means where you happen to be, your lot in life, your station in life at this time. So we have two calls in these verses, the call of salvation and the call of vocation. So let me show you. In verse 18, look there, verse 18. Is any man called being circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised is any man called in uncircumcision let him not be circumcised paul is saying were you saved already were you when you were saved were you already circumcised that's fine don't try to become uncircumcised which from a physical standpoint i'm not sure how that would happen but i'm gonna leave that alone i'm paul said it i don't know what it means um it's spiritual there's spiritual implications to that and then he also said, you know, vice versa. If you were called or you accepted the call of salvation as an uncircumcised man, and we'll talk about what that means. This is obviously specific to the Jews under the law. They were, that was part of, of the law. Um, if you're called and you're uncircumcised man, that's okay. You don't have to be circumcised anymore. We are not under the law. And so that's how we see the word in most of the uses in this passage. But now look at verse 20 said, let every man abide in the same calling wherein he was called. And there he's saying, whatever situation you happen to be in when you get saved, the vocation aspect, 
it's okay. As, as long as it isn't against biblical principles, you can stay. There is no problem. Because Christ saves you where you're at. You don't have to change before you get saved. And if, and if, if what you're doing doesn't go against Bible principles, you don't have to change after you get saved. And don't let anyone tell you that you have to particularly get changed before you get saved. That's lordship salvation, and that is heresy. Um, but that's for another day. You know, and back to the point. When you get saved, he's saying, now live your life to the glory of God where you find yourself. And that takes us back to the marriage context and what we saw last week, because here's what was going on in Corinth at the time. So Corinth, Corinth a very pagan city, I mean, a lot of craziness going on. You know, Paul comes, swings through, and man, he's winning people to the Lord. He starts a church, and, and then he's gone. And, and so what you have happening is people getting saved and, and new, legitimate new birth, but, the, but you know, it's, it's Jews, it's Gentiles, it's, there's all sorts of stuff. There's people dealing with the law still and trying to figure that out. There's people getting saved, and now they're already married and their spouse is unsaved, and so they were writing to Paul saying, what do we do? Like, I mean, we know, I mean, from chapter 6, I mean, although obviously they didn't have the letter at the time, but it was like, you know, that we're not to be unequally yoked, and, and you see that in 2 Corinthians, and so they had, Paul had taught those principles, and so now they're getting married, and they're dealing with, and they're like, do we need to get divorced now? Because I'm saved, and he's not, or I'm saved, and she's not. What, what do we do? How do we handle all this? And that was even some of the issues at the beginning of the chapter with, with respect to, you know, defrauding and those sorts of things. It's like, am I joining myself to, what is, you know, to, to a harlot? To what, what's going on here? How do I deal with this? And so Paul's answering these questions as we go. And, and, and so that leads us to where we're at today. He's saying, no, listen, you can have peace. Stay together. If I'm believing, if, they don't, if they're good with you, you're good with them. Don't, don't defraud. Don't do any of that stuff. But again, the point of the calling, and you can't separate it from its context, is that we have been called to peace. And that goes back to verse 15. You've been called to peace. That's the goal. Wherever you're at, if, you're, if you get saved and you're married to an unsaved person, it's okay. You're still called to peace. As part of your calling, strive for peace. And listen, even though the context of this is still marriage and singleness and all that sort of stuff, the principles that we are going to lay out this morning, they apply to every aspect of your life. These are just good biblical principles that apply wherever you find yourself. So job, station of life, the things you struggle with, this should help with all of it. And so when it comes to gaining peace through contentment, the first key we see from Paul, this is point number one, is you need to recognize God's providence. So you're going to find yourself sometimes in situations that, that maybe you wouldn't exactly choose to be in. But if you want to get to the, that place of peace, the first thing you need to do is recognize God's providence. Look back at verse 17 again. But as God hath distributed to every man, as the Lord hath called every one, so let him walk. Walk in that. And we see this same principle in Ephesians chapter 2 and other places in the Bible. 
And he says, and so ordain I in all churches. And he gives an example. Is any man called being circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Is any man called in uncircumcision? Let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and the uncircumcision is nothing, but the keeping of the commandments of God. And so again, what Paul is saying is, whatever situation you find yourself in life, particularly with respect to marriage and singleness, you need to recognize God's providence in that. He said, pay attention to the fact that God has distributed to every man and called everyone. And wherever he's called you, wherever you're at when you accept the call of salvation, just keep walking your life down that road. Walk in that until God directs you in a different direction. And if you go back and you connect verses 12 through 16 with the passage that we're looking at this morning, Paul lays out three scenarios where he says you should be willing to stay in a particular situation and serve God there. So he gives these three examples. The first in, in, in verses 12 through 16 is in a marriage with an unbeliever where there are no biblical grounds for divorce. You need to be willing to stay there and serve God there, and you can have peace there. And then he says you should also be able to do the same thing in a culture that is opposite of your own. And, that's, and we'll talk about what this means specifically with circumcision and uncircumcision. And then he gets down and he says, as a servant to another, you should be able and willing to serve God there. It doesn't matter. You don't have an excuse. Choose to keep the commandments of God anyway. And listen, I'll be honest, this isn't politically correct thinking today. In fact, human nature rebels against much of this teaching, but the teaching is what it is. And the key is you can't obey it. You are able to obey the teaching that, that Paul is giving when you have the right perspective. And that perspective starts with recognizing that God is in control, that his providence rules. It is acknowledging that, his providence. And listen, providence it can be a little bit confusing at times, but it, I'll tell you what it is not. It is not a Calvinistic concept of determinism, that everything is predetermined by God before the foundation of the world. That is not what providence is. It is not that because man has a free will and gets to make choices. And those choices have rewards and consequences attached to them. We reap what we sow. But all the while, God is still working his will and his eternal purpose in the midst of our choices. That is the definition of providence, that God is working his will and his eternal purpose in the midst of your choices. You see, his sovereignty, which is God sovereign, absolutely. He is absolutely sovereign, but his sovereignty is not detached or incompatible with your own volition. You get to choose. So know that wherever you are, God is there. As long as you're willing to apply Bible principles, God is still going to work. And this didn't only apply to Corinth because it was Corinth. You know, the, the Corinthians were asking these questions, and, and Corinth is a very unique, unique example because it was a very unique city in not a lot of good ways. But Paul says this doesn't only apply to Corinth because you guys are dealing with so many of these crazy issues. No. This applies everywhere. But Paul said, I, or, I ordained or prescribed it for all churches. No one is exempt because of where you live. 
God is enough in all places. And listen, God is enough even if you're in a situation that you have no control over. The example we find in verses 18 and 19, Paul uses a cultural and and a racial example with Jewish circumcision. And in the Old Testament, circumcision was commanded for the Jew. And even though the circumcision itself didn't make them God's people, it was a sign of the covenant. But we are no longer under that covenant. We're now in the church age. If you came to 9 o'clock this morning, you learned about that. And those things no longer matter from a spiritual condition standpoint. Galatians 6.15 says, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. You've been, met, you've been born again. You have been a new creature in Christ. And circumcision doesn't matter because culture doesn't matter. Race doesn't matter. This is open to everybody. And you can't choose your race or your culture anyway. That is part of God's providence. And maybe you're in a situation that has nothing to do with your own choices. And you're in a bad situation because maybe because of the choices of someone else. And it doesn't have anything to do with the choices of you, you've made. Listen, either way, you can still have peace with God. And you can still serve God. It doesn't matter who you are or where you're at. And I know this because of verse 19, which says circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing, but the keeping of the commandments of the law, the keeping of the commandments of God. Now that's something. And the commandments of God are different than the commandments of the law. And we don't have to keep the commandments of the law, although, from a moral standpoint, most of them apply to us. Thou shalt not murder. Guess what? You shouldn't murder. Still today, church age, I know, weird. That still applies to us today. Nearly all the moral aspects of that, but listen, that is not what we have to do to be in a right relationship with God. Circumcision, uncircumcision, it doesn't matter. The keeping of the law doesn't matter. It's nothing. But the keeping of the commandments of God in your heart, that means something, man. That's what we're supposed to do. And that tells us that the key to life isn't outward. The key to life is what you and Jesus have going on inwardly that maybe nobody else even knows about. So our racial and cultural and political and societal identity does not matter anymore. You see, once you are born again, your identity is sealed by the fact that you are seated in Christ in heavenly places. And we shouldn't care about racial and political pride and power. We should only care about Bible pride and power. We need what the Bible says. Because obedience is the only mark of faithfulness that God recognizes. And listen, there is no thing or no one who can keep you from obeying the Bible and serving Christ, no matter your situation. But to do so, You have to start with recognizing God's providence in it. Because if you don't, if you don't think that God is with you, and you don't think that God is for you, then you are going to land in a place of utter discouragement, not a place of peace. But but listen, 
you alone are responsible for your spiritual success or failure. And that is based upon your obedience. And when we talk about obedience, God wants full obedience. Because we like to obey just kind of on our own terms. In our own way. I mean, I mean we're obeying. I mean, I, I'm, I'm going to come to church on Sunday. I mean, I don't know what I'm going to do the rest of the week. You know, Saturday night, I mean, that's my own time. I'm going to live how I want to live then. But I'll come to church on Sunday. That's obeying the Lord. Well, that's not how God works, just so you know. There's a story in the Old Testament in 1 Samuel 15 where God sent Saul a, a command through the prophet Samuel and to gather his army and to attack, attack Amalek. It was utterly destroying everything that breathed was the command. Every man, woman, child, animal. But Saul didn't fully obey. Saul did everything except he preserved the king and he allowed his people to take the best of the oxen and sheep. I mean, really, what's the harm in that? I mean, Saul saved only a few of the best sheep, you know, lambs, oxen. And listen, he had good reason. He did this so that the people could sacrifice to the Lord. And in, in, in verse 21, 1 Samuel 15, 21, says, But the people took of the spoil... Sheep and oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice unto the Lord God in Gilgal. Listen, that's a good reason, isn't it? I mean, you know, he was told to to kill all of it. But listen, God, I want to sacrifice something to you, so I'm not going to do all of that. I'm going to keep a little bit back. Seemed like a good reason, but we get the answer in verse 22. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. You see, God didn't think it was a good reason, because keeping the commandments was required. Not keeping only what he wanted. We see what God really thought back in verses 10 and 11. Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, saying, It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he turned back from following me. And how does he know that? Has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. You know, what God wants out of you and me this morning is full obedience in the midst of wherever you happen to find yourself. Because what we do, what Saul did, is we create excuses for why we're the exception. And so we're in a situation that we don't like, and it's hard, and maybe it's no choice of our own. Maybe it's not even our fault. And so we'll convince ourselves that we're the exception. And yeah, the Bible might say this, this, and this, but, but I, didn't, I didn't get myself into this. This is somebody else's fault. So I'm the exception to this rule. I've been sent to tell you this morning that you're not. He wants full obedience. And he wants you to recognize his providence and his distribution and calling to have you there, including his calling of peace. You're called to peace even there. And that's where you have to start. But then second, the second key to gaining peace through contentment, after you recognize God's providence, is you need to remember your price. Look at verse 20. 
says, Let every man abide in the same calling wherein he was called. Art thou called being a servant? Care not for it. But if thou mayest be made free, use it rather. If, 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 you're a, if you are a servant, if you, the context of this is a slave, he said, man, if, if that's where you find yourself, care not for it. Don't place your thoughts and your cares there. He's like, but if you can be made free, man, praise the Lord. Go do that and use it. Use it for my glory. Verse 22, for he that is called in the Lord being a servant is the Lord's freeman. Likewise, also he that is called being free is Christ's servant. Verse 23, you are bought with a price. Be not ye the servants of men. So now Paul moves to a second example. And it's the example of a servant. And again, in this context, it was a slave. And he says here that even if the calling of God on your life, it, it, and in the providence of God, you end up being a slave. Well, listen, that doesn't matter because in Christ you are free. And listen, this is absolutely, from Paul, not an endorsement of any social injustices. Slavery in Bible times was different and and, and sometimes much better than what we would know from slavery in our country, sometimes worse. Um, But it it was different, but this is not Paul's statement on social justice issues. He is not endorsing anything. In fact... Whatever is sin is sin, and God will judge. And God will judge it all in his time. It's not always in our timing. Sometimes we would like, it, we would like that, that wrath of God. You know, we love the grace of God and, until it applies to someone else, and sometimes we would like the wrath of God. We like that a whole lot. Well, not for us, but, you know, for them because they're sinners and they're evil. Um, but God gets to judge on his time. But it is a calling to peace, even if that's what life deals you. And this example is relevant in the context of peace through contentment in life's situation, including marital relationships, because at the point we make the free will choice to accept the sacrifice of Christ, which is the absolute right decision, by the way, we become his slaves. And Paul drives that point home in verse 23 when he reminded the Corinthians that they have been bought with a price. And Christian, you have been bought with a price as well. We saw that back in chapter 6. What? Verse 19. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. And I don't have to remind you, but we have been bought with the price of the blood of our Savior. And, and, and what a sacrifice that was. We sang this morning a song titled Man of Sorrows. Go read Isaiah 53 and you will learn why he was a man of sorrows and what he went through for you and for me to purchase you, to buy you. And, and in his graciousness, he still lets you choose. You have to choose him. He didn't force it upon you. He did it even for those he knew wouldn't choose him. Think about that. But you've been bought with a price. And you chose it. If you're saved this morning, you chose it. And, and again, that was the absolute right decision. But that means you sold yourself into slavery. You sold yourself into the slavery of the greatest master who there ever, ever was. 
And when we remember this, it helps set our mind right. Because in all of this, we're dealing with a right mind and a perspective of mind. Because that word servant does mean to be a slave. And so Paul says, don't serve anyone else. You don't, I mean, do your job, but you're not serving anyone else. You're serving me. And in our life, you know, we don't have that context uh, as much anymore. But you know what we do have? We have ourselves. And we really like to serve ourselves. No, serve the Lord because you belong to the Lord. You were bought by Him. And when you do that, that is actually when you receive true and complete freedom. When you recognize that you've been bought with a price and you give yourself over to that fact. You choose to serve the Lord with your life. Wherever you are, you'll find peace and freedom. It's the opposite of what we do as, as humans and men. And, I mean, we mess all this up, but, but God doesn't. And Paul wasn't just saying this for the Corinthians or, or for us. This is something he knew personally. He had made himself a bond servant to the Lord, a prisoner. That's what Paul was talking about in Philippians 3.12 when he says, Not as though I already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may have apprehended that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Paul said, I recognize that I have been apprehended by Christ, literally Christ, which again, Philippians, a prison epistle written from, the, written from prison, he had never acknowledged in any of those prison epistles that, that he was a prisoner of man. Because he wasn't. Even though that's where he happened to be. He was a prisoner of the Lord. He had been apprehended, literally captured by Christ. He said he has purchased me. He owns me. And now I'm doing everything I can. I am following after, pressing hard to live my life according to that truth. This was a matter of God capturing Paul for a purpose and then Paul yielding to it. You see, that is the problem for many of us. We know and we appreciate the fact that we have been saved by grace. And we recognize that we've been bought by the blood of Christ. And we believe that, we acknowledge it. We just don't take the next step and then figure out how to yield yourself to it. And allow the acknowledging of it to bring you peace as you live your life for Him. So we acknowledge that we've been saved by grace. We're appreciative for it. And then we still are a slave to ourself. You can't be both. Listen, God has apprehended you for his purpose. And the rest of your life is a matter of laying hold to that. And following after that. That's what those next verses in Philippians 3 are about. Verses 13 and 14 say, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You see, a service to God is something he called a high calling. And we have a high calling too. And when we live life in light of that calling, even if it is in a bad situation, it brings us into conformity to Christ. It allows us to glorify Him. What we were created to do, by the way, Revelation 4.11 and many other verses. 
So let me ask you, what's your calling? And are you serving God there? What's your station in life? Where does God have you as it relates to marriage, as it relates to job, as it relates to school, whatever? Where, what is your calling? Where, what's the vocation? What's your lot in life? And are you serving God there? Are you obeying God there? And, and you'll know because of the, how you answer the, this next question. Do you have peace in your life? Are you at peace? Are you at peace with where you're at with the Lord? Are you at peace where you're at with your spouse, with your kids, with the relationships you have? Do you have peace? Then if not, you need to be looking at some of these things. But if you remember the price that Jesus paid for you, man, you can get down that road to finding it. And that's the story of Philemon, the book of Philemon. In church history, it reminds me of the Moravians, right? We know the Moravians around here. And the Moravian missionary movement of the 1700s was something quite amazing, if you're not familiar with it. I trust many of you are, but if you're not, an, a, a movement mostly led by a man by the name of Count Zinzendorf, Nicholas Zinzendorf, it was a really amazing thing. You should Google him if you don't know about him, but let me just give you a, a brief history to make a real long story short. In 1731, Nicholas Zinzendorf, he met a, a converted slave from the West Indies, a guy by the name of Anthony Ulrich. And, and Zinzendorf was a strong Christian, and, and so they, they, they met and they uh, struck up a conversation. And Ulrich was looking for someone to go back to his homeland to preach the gospel to black slaves, including his sister and his brother. And so Zinzendorf, through that conversation and through the leading of the Lord, he went back to his hometown in Germany to find some men to go. Two immediately volunteered, becoming the first Moravian missionaries, the first Protestant missionaries of the modern era. You know, we at, William Carey is known as the father of modern missions, and rightfully so, but the Moravian missionaries preceded him by 60-some years. And, and they went, within two weeks, Zinzendorf sent missionaries around the globe. Listen, this is where they went, this small town in Germany, to Greenland, Lapland, Georgia, Suriname, Africa's Guinea coast, South Africa, Amsterdam's Jewish Quarter, Algeria, the native North Americans, Ceylon, Romania, Constantinople. In very short order, 70 missionaries from a community of fewer than 600 people had gone. And by the time Zinzendorf died in 1760, not 30 years later, the Moravians had sent out over 225 missionaries. Listen, many of them missionaries who sold themselves into slavery, never to return home again, to win those slaves in Africa. It's an amazing story. All for the cause of Christ. All because they knew they had been bought with a price. And they had peace with what God was doing in their life. It reminds me of Paul, what he said in Galatians 6, 17. It says, from henceforth, let no man trouble me. And this is an amazing statement, especially because of this next phrase. For I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. He said, listen, no, not anymore, man. No man can bother me. I already, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord. And the marks are clearly a reference to the stonings and the beatings and the whippings that he talks about in 2 Corinthians 11, verses 23 through 28. 
195 lashes from a whip are going to leave some marks. Paul had the stripes laid on him just as they were laid on Jesus. A man who had been stoned and beaten with rods is going to have some marks. No telling what Paul looked like physically at the end of his life. But he did it willingly. Why? Because he knew that he had been bought with a price. He was no longer his own, and his body showed it. It was like the Old Testament slave who decided to make a willing choice to stay with his master. In Exodus 21, verses 5 and 6, it says, If the servant shall plainly say, I love my master, my wife, my children, I will not go free, then his master shall bring him into the judges, and he shall bring him to the door, and under the doorpost, and his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. And with that hole in his ear, the slave bore in his body the marks of his master. Do we have marks? Do you have marks? To where you bear in your body the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, and listen, we live in a culture that's unlike Paul, that's unlike the Old Testament. Praise the Lord. We don't, we don't get you know, 40 lashes save one for preaching Christ. But it doesn't mean that you don't get marks. As you share your faith, and someone, you know, if you're, if you're a kid, and, and, and these differ as we go up. Maybe you're a kid, and maybe you're in high school, and it's time to share your faith, and God leads you to share your faith with someone, and you do it, and you get made fun of. That's a mark. Listen, you're barren in your body, the marks of the Lord Jesus, and I know that doesn't feel good. But can I tell you that it is good? Can I tell you that God knows every mark on your body? Not only can he count, and he, and, and he does count your hairs, he counts the marks. Every time you're in a situation, maybe it's not of your own doing, and, and, and it's bad. Listen, let's be honest. We find ourselves in bad situations. Sometimes we bring ourselves into them, sometimes not. And in that situation, you obey the Bible. And maybe in that moment, it doesn't even seem to do any good. It's a mark. The Lord counts it. He knows how many marks you have on your body. Does your body represent what you do for the Lord? I hope it does, man. Because every time you remember the price paid for you, it's going to help you make those decisions easier and easier. And then third, in finding peace or contentment, you need to realize the place. Realize the place. Because there's only one true place of peace. And you see it in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 24. Brethren, let every man wherein he is called therein abide with God. You see, the place of peace is found in abiding with God. And the word abide means to stay, to dwell, or to be present. And this is important because communion and presence with Christ is a certain cure for every ill. So abide near to Jesus. It is 
Listen, it is a matter of secondary importance whether you live on the mountain of honor or in the valley of humiliation if you are abiding in Him. So strive to stay and dwell in His presence, in His providence. Build your relationship with a God who provides peace that passeth all understanding. That is what we need for all life situations, in bad marriages, in tough relationships, in the loneliness of singleness. We just need to abide in Christ. And it is something we miss today in our form of Laodicea and Christianity. In John 15, 5, Jesus said, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. That's how we have peace. And I say that because Jesus said that as we abide in him, we will bring forth much fruit. There are different, a fruit is a good study in your Bible. There are different types of fruit in the Bible. But the fruit discussed here is particularly related to the fruit of the Spirit. That means as we abide in Christ, we will become more like Christ. And he is love, joy, peace. He is the embodiment of those nine characteristics found in Galatians 5. His life is a picture of fruit in complete fullness. And that is what we are to be, conformed to him, becoming more like him every day. And when we abide in him, we do just that. But man, a commitment to do it is needed. God doesn't just want your leftover time. He wants your full attention. In the same way, he doesn't want partial obedience. He wants you to be with him because you want to be with him. A good example of that is found in Exodus 24, and then we'll be done. When God calls Moses up to Mount Sinai for a second time, in verse 12 of Exodus 24, the Bible says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Come up to me in the mountain, be there, and I will give thee tables of stone and a law and commandments which I have written, that thou mayest teach them. And I don't know if you caught it or not, but there are three words in the middle of that verse that define for you what abiding with Christ looks like. God told Moses to come up into the mount and be there. And the question I want to leave you with this morning is this. Are you there? First of all, do you take time to spend time with the Lord each day? And if so, are you there? Or are you somewhere else? Don't just go there. Be there. Don't just open your Bible. Be in your Bible. God deserves our full attention. God deserves an unfettered heart and an undistracted mind. And listen, this is for your own good. Because when you abide with Christ and are there with him every day, you will receive peace. That is a promise you have from the Lord. So maybe you're in a marriage or in a situation of life that you're not so sure about. Well, the Bible is, the Bible's clear. You've been called to peace. But even though the Bible's clear, sometimes we're not. And in those times, here's what you do. You recognize and acknowledge God's providence. You recognize that God is there, and if you will apply Bible principles to your life, he will work. It is the word of God. He is true to it every single time. And then second, you remember your price. You remember the sacrifice that was paid for you. And you place yourself in service to the one who paid it. And since he paid it all, you should surrender all. And then third, you realize the place, the place of peace, and you drive yourself to the Lord, and you be there with him. So contentment in your calling is possible. And it's your choice to make. We're going to sing one final song. That's for you. That is your time with the Lord.
And during that time, the altar is open. You can come forward. You can pray, talk to someone. You can do business with the Lord right there in the pew. It, it, I mean, it doesn't matter. What matters is your response. If God's calling you to do business with him today, do that.